Achieving a gorgeous grin from home isn't a total mystery with Byteclear aligners. Just don't be surprised if all of your sleuthing friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Byteclear aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside. Repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. From the offices of Create and Cultivate, this is Work Party, a podcast for women who are redefining the meaning of work on their own terms. In each episode, we tap experts on topics that matter most to the modern working woman, whether you are running the show or working your side hustle. We're bringing in leading female entrepreneurs to share their stories with you. Are you ready to create and cultivate the career of your dreams? Well, welcome to Work Party, the podcast. Hi, Heather Records here, the VP of Marketing at Create and Cultivate. We are so excited for today's episode because we are not shy when it comes to showing our admiration for the one and only Busy Phillips. She's had a massive year between her TV show, Busy Tonight, which I will be fighting to bring it back until the day I die, testifying before Congress on abortion and reproductive rights, and being a mom to amazing kids. She is by definition a modern working woman and definitely surrounds herself with women alike. Her knack for supporting other females and friendships with rad women like one of my faves, Jen Gotch, is nothing short of inspirational. We love watching her daily life unfold on Instagram and how she is just so uniquely herself and we just, we love it. In today's episode of Work Party, we're sitting down with Busy Phillips at the Airy Real Treat, which we held in Los Angeles. Jacqueline Johnson is going to interview her on all of the latest from her moment in the courtroom to the next steps after her show. So let's dive right in before I give away too much. You guys, I'm so excited. Hi. Hi. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good. Last time we saw each other, we were in Austin. We were in Austin. Check and this. you guys, busy is the best. Well, I'm just going to kick it off with that. (laughs) No, but she's been such a supporter of Create and Cultivate in so many ways. And so I'm so honored to interview you today and just pick your brain for 30 minutes. Let's do it. Being busy. Okay. So being busy, Phillips, means being busy as fuck. Yeah. You are very busy. I mean, between your book, your IG stories, which I tune into regularly. Yeah. uh, And feel very bad about not being um, as fit as you are. Well, it's not about that. It's really just like I have to do it every day or my brain doesn't work right. So it's it's not about my, it's not about the core. It's more about like the brain. It really is my therapy. Also, I go to therapy. (laughs) Therapy. 
fitness, <laughs> therapy, yeah. all the things. Writer, producer, director, and airy real role model, of course. Yeah. Um, we are so excited to be here. So you have been in the industry for 20 years. Plus years, 20 yes. plus years. Uh-huh. Let's talk longevity because okay. you've had, you know, again, these major successes. I think the past year you've exploded in so many different ways, but you've been around. You've been working for a really long time, and I think it's really great to kind of see that ride you've been on because I think so many people just think, oh, my God, you've made it, and then that's it, but it's a lot of work. So what do you address your longevity to or what do you attribute it to? Yeah, I mean, I think for a lot of people in all different industries, you can sort of get tricked into thinking that there's like one moment and that's the moment when you've arrived. You know what I mean? But especially in the entertainment industry, for most people, it is just a series of small moments that build up on one another. And the secret is, I think, for the people that are able to continue that is you know, being able to see that, like, you know how, like, everybody is like, life is so short. Like, life's short. It's a blip. Like, it's over in a second. Like, eat dessert first or whatever. But the truth is, like, life is so fucking long. (laughs) And it's, and it will wear you down if you're not prepared emotionally and mentally for longevity. So, like, I'm, like, in it for the long game. You know, I always thought that. And while I wished that I I had won an Academy Award at age 25, that is not part of the trajectory for me. And I think that that's really important to whatever industry you're in is being able to, as young an age as you can, truly, truly understand that like your path, your journey to success or to whatever that means for you is not the same as anyone sitting next to you. Even if you guys like on paper are exactly the same, you have fundamentally different life experiences to offer, different things to offer, and your journey will be different, therefore. So, like, that comparison and and the thing that, like, gets into your head at night when you're going to sleep is only going to waste your energy. And do you feel like that took a while to figure out? In my particular industry, yes, because my industry is literally competition. Like you're you're sitting in rooms against the same five people. But it's so interesting. The other night I was celebrating the jewelry designer Maya Brenner's like 20 year anniversary of her jewelry over there at the Firehouse Hotel, which is so cute. Her husband opened it. And I was with Constance Zimmer and Katie Isleton and Lindsay Sloan and all of these girls who I have been auditioning in the same rooms with for 20 years and we're all very close friends. And so for me, initially when I got to Hollywood, (laughs) uh, I had like my college friends from Loyola Marymount University, but when I started building friendships with women in my own industry, that's when the thing clicked into me, which is like, I've lost parts to all of those girls that I mentioned and they've all lost parts to me. And we just understand that whatever it is that is mine is, it's just not for you. And whatever's for you is just not for me and it's fine. And there's room, you know, like in Hamilton, right? he says there's room, the world is wide enough for you and me. Like the world is wide enough for all of us, turns out. And, you know, that's a mindset we talk a lot about with collaboration over competition. And I think for so long, the narrative was there's only room for one woman. There's one part. Right. Well, that's the patriarchy talking to all of us. And like, I feel very lucky that I was like, well, that 
feels wrong. That's not, that can't be right. And, and I was right, turns out. <laughs> but yeah, I do think that competition kills creativity as well. I think that if you're in an open space and you're collaborative with other women and you're not always like constantly wanting the credit, I talk, I like, do like credit. But, but if you're really focused on like, well, that was my joke or that was my, you know, it's just, that's not, it's not benefiting anyone. So not only is obviously the entertainment industry, Hollywood, cutthroat and competitive, um, but it really has, you know, been well known for unattainable beauty standards, you know, over the years. And, and obviously having been in the industry for 20 years, I'm sure you've seen that shift and change, but how did it affect you 15, 20 years ago? And how does it affect you today? As I eat my grapefruit, sorry. <laughs> so maybe I just like, Love a little citrus moment. Well, it's interesting. My husband and I talk about this a lot because I'm like conventionally very attractive. <laughs> and and when I started out in Hollywood and in the entertainment industry, that was not the message I was sent ever. Like every time I auditioned for things or did a magazine shoot, I did like three, by the way. But every time I showed up somewhere, it was like, those clothes aren't going to fit her body. Like, you know, I was always made to feel like there was something that needed to be fixed for me. Um, even when I talk, I wrote about this in detail in my book. So if you've read my book, I apologize for the repetitiveness of this conversation. But when I got on set for Dawson's Creek, the makeup artist had been told from the higher ups to cover up all of my moles and my beauty mark, like my all, all over my body that it literally looked insane. I looked like I had like orange dots all over me. As a young person, because I started when I was 19 years old, I was incredibly lucky that my first job was Freaks and Geeks because part of the whole idea of the show was that we were like these real kids. And Paul and Judd Apatow just felt so strongly about reinforcing to us, Linda Cardellini and myself, that we were great the way we were, that, that he didn't want us to go on any diets, that like, we were great. But you know, then I would audition for movies and stuff and I was like always losing parts to Tara Reid, that was the time, I'm old. And <laughs> I didn't fit in like my whatever. I was just always being told that I was too much. Like I was, my personality was too big, my features were too big, my moles, I had too many moles, my body was too big and it was, it was hard for me. I mean, it was just, it was hard for me. It has like wormed its way into my brain in a lot of different ways. And I've worked very hard to try to mitigate that damage that was done to me at an early age from the industry that I chose to be a part of. And do you think now it's changed or is changing? I don't know, man, because I'm not 19. And so like, I don't know what those girls are subjected to. I know what I would put up with. And I know what women like on my level put up with at this point. I know what women who have more power put up with. And that's to say that like, I think we all hit the threshold of like, no, that's not happening anymore. We're not discussing this. And I'm not, you know, standing here in my underwear for you to like dissect my body or whatever but I can't speak to what the experience is for someone new coming into this industry. I just don't know. And I hope it's better. And I hope that people have, have learned that that behavior and being predatory in that way is not acceptable, but I don't know. The only thing I can do and offer is to be open to young talent in the industry and to be sort of like a mentor if anyone wants to reach out. And I think that that's what like Time's Up has been really great about, which is like sort of connecting all the women in the entertainment industry so that they can talk to one another about wages, about salaries, about 
you know, things that they're being asked to do or participate in that doesn't sit right with them in some way. And it's like created this real community. And then beyond that, you know, I made sure, you know, I'm in a position now where I don't want to work for anyone else. And so I'm just doing my own stuff. And because I'm the boss, I'm able to control that completely. So that's awesome. Exactly. And I was, I was going to just say to piggyback on that, like the more women like yourself who are in power, who are building the writer's room, who are part of the conversation, like it's less and less men, not to say that, you know, all men are the problem, but like making those decisions, being in those rooms and sort of perpetuating that behavior longer term. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I had an experience to be totally honest with you. I've had this, I mean, this question gets brought up a lot, like since time's up, have you noticed like a shift on sets and have things really changed? And I felt like, well, since time's up, I like took I only worked on the movie that my husband and his writing partner wrote and directed. So like obviously that was chill. <laughs> and then and they and they made sure that they hired a lot of diversity throughout. Um that was I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer. Uh, and then um and then beyond that, it was my show that I built and we were 93 our creative team was 93% female and we had tons of diversity and people who identified all spectrums of sexuality and things and um that was very important to me and on the actual set the crew members we made sure that there was a ton of representation and diversity and women and our director was a woman like it was just it you know it starts at the top obviously always but I did do a job like a few months ago and I was very shocked when I walked on set that the entire crew were men. And it was like actually shocking to me because I hadn't experienced that in a couple years. And I was like, whoa, it's so many white dudes in here. And the DP, who was like an old white dude, was like, oh yeah, is it? I, well, I, I haven't noticed. And I was like, yeah, you fucking wouldn't. Yeah. Like everyone looks exactly like you. It's weird for me, like walking into this situation. And then he was like, our script supervisor is a woman. And if you work in the entertainment industry or you know anything, it's like, that's like, that was the job that they would give ladies. This is like the secretary. Like that's like the one job on yeah. set, like in old school Hollywood, that they'd be like, the lady can be the script supervisor, like taking notes. Oh. Anyway, it was shocking. But that's, I mean, I guess that's a good thing in the sense that it felt shocking because it hadn't happened in so long. Yeah, so, that's true. In that sense. Hi guys, Heather here, the VP of marketing at Create and Cultivate. We're taking a little break to hear from our partner at Vistaprint. What do you do if the mere mention of networking makes you cringe? know that you're not alone. Up to half of Americans are introverts. And as someone who constantly struggles with social anxiety, here's six tips that really help. One, get to the event early. Two, give yourself permission not to talk to everyone. Focus on introducing yourself to the people you really want to meet. Three, use the buddy system. An extroverted wing woman is always a great friend to have. Four, don't worry about talking about yourself. It may sound counterintuitive, but shifting the focus to the other person has benefits and focuses on their needs and it helps to build a rapport. Number five, bring your business cards. Bring them, collect them, and continue the conversations. At Vistaprint.com, you can upload your own design or select from professionally designed options. You can choose from different colors, fonts, and even upload your logo and contact info with just a few clicks. Select the paper stock, style, and quantity that fits for you. Choose your delivery speed and even receive your cards in just a few days, as little as three days. If you're not 100% satisfied with your business cards, Vistaprint will make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. 
Vistaprint wants you to be able to own the now in any situation, which is exactly why we're offering our listeners 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at just $9.99. That's under $10. Just go to vistaprint.com backslash work party. That's vistaprint.com backslash work party. V-I-S-T-A-P-R-I-N-T dot com backslash W-O-R-K-P-A-R-T-Y. Now let's dive back into the interview. So you are unapologetically yourself and you've really cultivated a cult following on Instagram and really have embraced the platform and have had stories written about it in the press of just how you're like sort of the queen of Instagram, especially Instagram stories. Yeah. How did it happen? Why did it happen? Why do you love this platform? Tell us everything. I don't know. I mean, it just all sort of was, was just all timing, I guess. When Instagram stories started, I was just in a very kind of dark place personally and creatively. I felt really stifled and I didn't know what I was doing or what I wanted to do. And I was bored, like for lack of a better word. And so I kind of started doing it as I don't know, sort of an expression. I always really have been fascinated by reality television. I always loved, like, again, I'm a million years old, but, like, the real world was my favorite when I was young, like, original reality show. Mm. And those ones are interesting because it's not like reality shows today. They're slow and, like, nothing happens. The original real worlds, nothing it's crazy. They started manufacturing drama later on, and then that became sort of like the standard. And then now we're in a totally different stratosphere in terms of like what's manufactured and, you know, what people want to see and sort of, you know, appealing to the lowest common denominator and all that. But the original real worlds were everything to me. And so that confessional feeling, I always like, I would do those confessionals in my like Honda Civic SI, like just like (laughs) driving home from high school. You know what I mean? So to me, that was kind of what I was doing at night was like, guys, let me tell you what happened today. And I really liked the intimacy of it. And then I really liked the connection. It was really nice. And I, and I truly wasn't like even looking for anything. I really wasn't looking for anything. And then when it's all changed and people were writing articles about it I thought well that's interesting what is that (laughs) I should figure that out so that's what I tried to do so you talked a little bit about how you were kind of in a dark place when this all started happening um and that's something that you do share on your Instagram stories is like the good times the bad times the ebbs and flows and I think you know mental health is such a hot topic right now but also just vulnerability and sharing what's like really happening like not everything's perfect you know even though From the outside, your life looks incredible. So why do you think it's important now that people are sharing these real stories? And how have you sort of tackled that yourself? Well, look, I think think it's incredibly important. I think, like, all of these conversations surrounding destigmatizing mental health are very important. I, I think that we have to also be considerate and aware of not fetishizing, like, depression and sadness and mental health issues. And I... I don't know. I, so I struggle a little bit with that now, just as, as it's all changed in the last several years, you know. But I never saw, I mean, I guess, I don't know. I'm just, I, I guess it depends who you follow and stuff. But I was never following, like, you know, accounts of people who, like, look perfect and have perfect lives. Like, I was just following my friends and people that I really liked. The only aspirational account I think I follow now is The Rock. 
you know? I mean, <laughs> I truly think that's it. But so, but so, so like a lot of people would ask me like, you're so real on your thing. And I, my feeling was always like, I'm just following like my friends from Arizona and their kids. Like, I don't understand <laughs> yeah. why what I'm doing is considered real. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Like no, it just never sense. occurred to me not to be the me that I would share with those girls I went to high school with, you know? Totally. And I think that's also, you know, there's a lot of accounts that are editorial. They feel like magazine spreads and it's like they're in Tulum, they're in here, they're doing this. And it's like, we're kind of all just sitting like at work, like why is my life not like that? You know? And I think there's a lot of that comparison that happens. I do have one friend where I'm always like, where the fuck is she now? <laughs> like what is happening in her life? And Mark and I talk about it and I'm like, I kind of feel like she just saves up photos and like yeah. posts them whenever she wants or she feels like today is like a sunny day and I'm going to post this photo from Milan. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's very true. But I also think, like, ultimately, one of the things that resonated with me and the general public is that, like, I am weirdly a good combination of aspirational and, like, totally normal and regular because I live a very within reason of my life that I live is not that much different than a lot of the girls that I went to high school with in Arizona. I just like happen to also be able to go to the Academy Awards and like be on television and a lot of people know who I am. You know what I mean? I don't live like a crazy extravagant life. That's not my Which thing. is probably what has kept you grounded. I don't know. <laughs> TBD. TBD. <laughs> I'm, I would like, I'm like dying to not be grounded. Yeah. I'm like dying to know what it's like to like not have to deal with airport. We got to get you a private jet. I'm, t I'm convinced that that's the moment when people lose it is once you don't know how to check yourself into a commercial flight. Even first class. Like, once you lose that ability, you're fucking gone. You are, like, no longer a person. I think that's very accurate. Right? Yeah. <laughs> that's the barometer. So, on a more serious note, you recently shared your abortion story I did? on your show. You did. I don't know if you know it went viral. It was such a powerful moment, and you sparked this conversation around the hashtag, you know me, because you wanted to share that, like... You know, some people are like, well, I don't know people who had an abortion, but actually there's so many women that have abortions and, and don't feel like they can talk about it. So why was that important to you to share on the show? You know, I'm not, not for nothing. I do, I am a little bit of a hippie who like thinks that things happen in the way that they're supposed to happen, like universally and whatever. And so, and so. I did have an abortion when I was 15 years old. It was something that I never had spoken about publicly that I held a great deal of shame about for many, many years. Uh, when I wrote my memoir, I knew that I wanted to talk about it. I knew that that was going to be difficult for my family, but I just felt really strongly in sharing the whole story, and I did that. And then, of course, we've seen what's happened in the last several months with the extreme abortion bans that were sort of sweeping the country. And I, I, I feel many, many things about it. It's all crazy. But writing about it in my book prepared me for when the extreme abortion bans happened. Well, first of all, so the Georgia ban was passed the Monday after I had found out that my show was canceled. But we didn't tell people for like five weeks. So I knew that my show was canceled. The Georgia ban was passed through the their Senate, but the governor hadn't signed it in. So my initial feeling was that I wanted to do it that day. However, 
my husband and I talked about it, and he's like, I don't want E to think that you're, like, going to go on television and talk about your abortion in some way because that they've canceled your show. Does this make sense? Yeah. Like, we just didn't... I just didn't want any of the message to be convoluted. But as soon as the Georgia one passed, because they... Georgia was, at that point, only the third. None of these laws have gone into effect, you know. Okay, so then I spoke to a friend of mine who's an activist in New York who works with NARAL and Planned Parenthood, and she said, if I were you, how much longer do you have on your show? And I said, well, May 16th is the last show. And she goes, okay, listen, the governor of Georgia has until May 10th to sign it in to whatever. If he doesn't sign it in, then wow, we've won. That's not going to happen. But when he signs it in, that's when you should make your statement on your show because that that means it's it's happening. That's like, it's real. Yeah. So I had already written like a whole thing that I was going to say on the show. And then we held it for several weeks. And when Governor Kemp signed the bill. We decided that that was the night to do it. And it happened to be the Met Gala after show too. And one of our writers, who's really smart, this young woman who I love so, so dearly, said, well, isn't that just what being a woman is? Like, you just have to talk about your abortion, about how women's rights are being stripped, and then like, you know, the Met Gala. And I was like, yes, that is exactly what it is. You're right. And so that was how it came to be. But we didn't, we didn't run it by the network because I didn't want them to give me notes on what I was going to say on my abortion. And I didn't want them to get scared. So in, we, had, we submitted, because we always had to like submit our script ahead of time. So we submitted like a full script. And then um, I took full responsibility because I had written it. And I personally like, put it into the prompter, because we used a teleprompter, so that no one else would, if they did get mad or something, like that no one else could be held responsible. And that was pretty crazy, you know, and I think really speaks to the other thing, which was why I even wanted to do a late night talk show in the first place, which is that we know that diversity and representation, you know, of all kinds makes a difference in our media. And having female voice in late night television is important, especially when our country is dealing with lots of mm -hmm. different issues that affect women, like people trying to strip rights completely and our autonomy. So, yeah, and then the hashtag was kind of Tina Fey's idea because she just thought like, you know, there's been shout your abortion, there's been hashtag I had an abortion, there have been all of these other things. And I was inspired by also Tarana Burke's um, You Know Me because I feel like a lot of sexual assault survivors have like carried a deep shame about it. And there was something really, I saw it, like saw it, it was very freeing for women to say like, and men to say, I'm not gonna hold on to this anymore. I like, I reject it. Like I reject the shame. I already going through the thing is fucking bad enough. Like I'm not holding on to the shame for you. But in the immediate, like the next day after I talked about it on my show, I like didn't feel, I felt like very exposed and I didn't wanna do the like right. hashtag thing. And also I didn't want people to think that I was like trying to create a moment for me abortion like I just was right. like I, yeah. I'm not like I really am not I just want I just want underserved women and women of color and the women that are gonna fucking die I'm a rich white lady I'll always be able to get an abortion also I'm 40 that ship might have sailed but you know what I mean but yeah, like yeah, yeah. and I just I just wanted I just want to be able to do whatever I can do in my position and with my platform to try to help people in other parts of this country that are struggling and need help Whatever. I mean, uh, yes. can we give a round of applause? Just like, let's Thanks. take a beat because that was, it's, 
So important. It's so powerful. I had no idea that you didn't have to run it by anyone and that you put yourself on the line in that position in many ways. Yeah. And that's, and I think. Well, I mean, I did feel like, what are they going to do? Cancel yeah, yeah, my yeah. show? <laughs> Also, we're bringing it back. Like, I don't care. We're gonna work on this. Yes. Well, we're yeah. We're still taking meetings. Like, we have a bunch of people that are interested, and we have things set up for. But like, we're just. We also needed like a breather, and also, yeah. so, and also like the timing of things. Like, being able to go testify at the House Judiciary Committee, I wouldn't have been able to do if my show on E that three people watched was still on. You know what I mean? I love you. Thank you. I I know. I know more than three people watched it, but you know, they made me feel like it was only three people. Ugh. Okay, well, we're here for it. We're ready. We will sign whatever you need us to sign. So one thing I want to talk about is female friendships. So you have a very envy-worthy girl gang. Um, you know, Jen Gotch, Michelle Williams, Kelly Oxford. I mean, I love all of those women. And so they're good. But I My think best friend, Emily Beebe, is here. Oh, She's you're here. My best shout out. Since, she was five, since I was five. <laughs> She's like, I'm here. There she is. Um, she works for Emerson Collective, doing good in the world. Shout out. Female friendships are complicated and really hard to navigate, but they're so important and vital to our lives. Like, how do you navigate friendships now? What have you learned from your past relationships and, and sort of why are they important to you? Well, I don't know. Because I just think my girlfriends provide a soft landing space for me always. And I hope I do the same for them. They have a lot of the same, we have a lot of the same shared experiences in the world. We have a lot of the same feelings about things and we fundamentally can understand one another and what the other is going through in a way that like Mark Silverstein is incredibly evolved as a man when he has tried so hard to like have a deep well of empathy, especially in the last few years with me. But at the end of the day, like he just doesn't know what it has been for me to be this person in life, in history, whatever. And my girlfriends do. And so I feel like that's why we hold on to one another so dearly. And I don't, you know, again, it's like comes back to that competition thing. Mm. I don't ever look at anyone, I mean, truly, I mean, truly anyone, but I don't look at anyone else's success as my lack of, you know, and I don't know. I just want to be able to like support and lift up as many people that I love as I can. And that just happens to include a lot of women. So you were one of our CNC 100 honorees. And I reread your interview before writing these questions. Ooh. And you said something that I loved. And you said, money is like manure. Oh, it, yeah. It should be spread around encouraging young things to grow. That's from Hello, Dolly. Oh. <laughs> Dolly Levi says that. It's like one of my favorite quotes of all time. It's so good. So can you expand on that? Yeah, just Mark and I like have no attack. I mean, we like like having money and making money. But we're just like, oh, you need five grand like for your like a friend of like I mean if you asked me I probably I don't know I don't know you you know what I mean like it would have it's circumstantial maybe maybe I would we're just like free and loose with our money like we're just sort of like I never have cash but if I have cash and there's a valet like and I'm like my shows and my show is on the air I'm just like just give that guy fucking 40 dollars like what's it to me but maybe to him it's like everything you know what I mean so we like tip well we like just try to fucking do it like get it out there into the world I'll loan my friends money I'll like help people. I would invest in things if I wanted to, but I don't really, I'd rather invest in shoes. I'm a little bit like Carrie Bradshaw in that sense. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, I just believe that, I don't know, this is, uh, life is long, but it's all temporary. Like you can't take it with you. <laughs> so, so I do feel like, and I want my, like my kids are going to have to work. I'm not, they're not going to be those 
children that don't have jobs. I had to work when I was 16, and I think that's why I work so hard now, is because I understand. So yes, that's what I mean by that. So obviously you're an airy role model, but who were your role models, you know, in the industry and then like personally sort of growing up? Hmm, interesting. <laughs> I don't know, growing up I, I had like sort of an incredible theater teacher who I loved. You know, I think it's hard for people when you don't find your thing. I've seen that like now with my daughter, some of her friends, even my, my daughter's, well, she's obviously a genius, she's my kid. But you know, a couple of years ago when she was like eight, she said, I don't have a thing, mom. Everybody else has a thing. Maymay has skating and Phoebe has Irish dance and I don't have a thing. And I don't want it to just be theater because that's your thing. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I get that. That's deep for an eight year old. But I was so lucky to have a thing. So my theater teacher was an incredible role model. I had many theater teachers that were really important to me growing up. And then, and then when I got to college too, my theater teacher was like an, incredible. And then Linda Cardellini was like sort of, has always been my guiding star. I just, she's really the greatest and I love her so much. And when I got Freaks and Geeks and didn't know what anything was, she showed me and helped me and you know she also has that thing we she and I have been up against each other for roles our entire career and we've never I've just never felt anything but like pure joy for her when she gets the parts you know you also got to work with Tina Fey on your show I'm oh just yeah like this is more of a personal question I'm like so how's Tina I mean she's the greatest she truly is I I can't I mean I can't say enough wonderful things about her. I The fact that I like get to text her if I want is so wild to me. The last few years have been really crazy in my life in that respect. But she initially, we had done a pilot together for NBC that hadn't gotten picked up. And her company, she reached out and was like, do you want to develop something else? You know, a comedy, like what they had done for Ellie, for Kimmy Schmidt. And I just was feeling exhausted by the industry and I said no I don't want to do that and I'm making money like monetizing my Instagram and I don't fucking know what I'm doing but like I just don't I can't I can't put myself through that heartbreak again little did I know <laughs> the heartbreak that this show would be and then I had the idea for doing a late night talk show and so I went back to her with it and even though she's obviously never been in that space she's she just was so thoughtful and said Yes, well, of course, we can figure that out. And it should be, that's exactly right. It should be an extension of your Instagram and, like, why people like you. And we're going to figure this out. Yeah, I think that's really important. I'll tell you something about Tina Fey. She talks very quietly. Oh. It's, it's low, not low what talker. you would expect. No, but I was very shocked about, like, when you talk to her, she's, like, very, like, like it's very low. And you're always, like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she really, yeah. Anyway, she's the best. Yeah. And she's super funny, obviously. Of course. But of she course. would pitch us like she was very involved in Busy Tonight, especially. And she would always watch our, uh, she would always send jokes. She would send bit ideas. She would send, like, she was like very participatory, which was great. So what's next for you? You've had a crazy <laughs> year. Yeah, that's okay. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't know. I mean, I, truthfully, I have like things that I want to do are like so huge that it's almost. I mean, I just have the audacity of being like, why the fuck not? I don't know. All right. So I have some really big ideas that I'm working on, and I hope that that all works out. We're here for all the big Female ideas. Female empowering, like empower, empowering more women, um, being able to give more women voices out into mainstream media. Mm -hmm. I think that there's, I think that like where we need to focus 
our energy on is um, subversively putting progressive ideas into mainstream culture in middle America because I think they've been left behind with all of this like prestige pay for the good shit television and I think that they're just like going to YouTube and watching the same like white supremacists over and over again and um, and I think that the truth is the way that you really permeate the culture and make a change in people's minds is through art so I would like to do that and empower more people to be able to do that I mean I think we're here for it <laughs> so whatever we can do to support so we're going to end with some rapid fire questions Yay. okay my favorite role I've ever played is that's not fair. <laughs> they're like your like they're like your children. You can't pick one. But I guess I would say <laughs> that my favorite role that I've played so far is Busy Phillips. Mm, she's a good one. Mm -hmm. um, I'm never too busy to cut all my little kids' faces. When I look in the mirror, I think. All right. <laughs> Being real to me means. Being open to being wrong, being open to making mistakes, um, and being open to owning that you're the fucking best. Can we please give a round of applause <laughs> for Busy Phillips? Have you bought your copy of Work Party the Book? Part career manifesto, part practical business advice, Work Party the Book is everything I need to my I learned in the women that helped me to make it happen. Just like in our podcast, Work Party the Book does not shy away from the nitty-gritty details you need to know. If you hope to start your own business or become the HBIC at your current gig, we're here to help you out. Available in hardcover and audiobook on Amazon, also on iBooks at Target and your local bookstore. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Work Party, the podcast. If you felt inspired and learned something new, let us know in a review on iTunes and check us out on social at Work Party. For every episode, we have downloadable resources available on workparty.com so you can put these tips and tools into action for your own business. Thanks again for listening. And as always, work hard, party on.